Ozark Highlands Radio is brought to you by the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas. A wonderful way to enjoy yesterday. On the web at OzarkFolkCenter.com. And by Stone Bank, a community bank supporting entrepreneurs and farmers nationwide with loans guaranteed by the USDA, SBA, and Farm Services Agency. Learn more at StoneBank.com. And the Arkansas Arts Council, empowering the arts for the benefit of all Arkansans. On the web at ArkansasArts.org. <laughs> Howdy, folks. This is Dave Smith, host of Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome to our show. We have a very special show for you this week as we feature a concert with world-renowned Scottish fiddler Alastair Fraser and the amazing cellist Natalie Haas. Down in the vault, Mark Jones has dusted off a recording of one of our finest dance fiddlers, and folklorist and author Brooks Blevins will take us to an ill-fated Ozark theme park, Dogpatch USA. All that this week on Ozark Highlands Radio. The folks who settled this part of the Ozarks were a hardy breed of Scots-Irish who found their way across the southern mountains, bringing with them the music of their ancestors. Many of our Ozark fiddle tunes have their roots in music from the highlands of Scotland. Recently we were visited by the great Scottish fiddler Alastair Fraser and the extremely talented American cellist Natalie Haas. Let's listen to a set of tunes we recorded on our stage. Thank you. 
Well, yeah, I was like, I'm, I'm interested in the cello. I'm always, um, I'm interested in asking questions, you know, in the tradition, and, and as, as you probably sensed in the workshop earlier today, uh, I like to, to question the perceived wisdom because often, you know, you scratch down below the surface and you find that people will say, well, here's the way it's done, and then, and then you find out that was only since 1950 or something. <laughs> and so I would love to ask questions like, what happened in 1850? What were they doing in 1712? You know, and because the tradition goes way back. And one of the things that I was excited about was these old, uh, the tradition of playing fiddle and cello. And I, and I was not only looking for a cellist, but I, I've, you know, you always, as a musician, you want to play with someone that sparks on stuff. These eyes burn bright, you know, and they, they hear, they hear the tunes and they get excited. Thank you. 
Natalie comes along, and not only does she play the cello, but man, she has like this amazing sense of groove, and she's fearless. And even as a young woman, you know, she, I would toss things in her direction, and she would just say, "Yeah, sure," you know. And that, and she had this sort of veteran uh, ability and, and, and willingness to just live in the flame of it, you know, which is such a rare thing and such a, a beautiful thing. Um, so it was about cello, but it's also really ultimately it's about the person, you know, and, and how, how you how you approach music, how, uh, what temperature you burn at, you know, and, and, and where you want to take it. So um, what began as an experiment, you know, we thought, well, let's do some, some gigs with a fiddle and a cello and see what happens. And here we are 18 years later <laughs> and we're still hungry, you know, and still trying different ideas. And there's something about a duo where you can, like there's no hiding, you know, you... you <laughs> Thank you. 
Scottish master fiddler Alastair Fraser, accompanied by cellist Natalie Haas. In that first set, we heard Freedom Come All Ye, followed by Munieris, The Devil and the Gypsy, and finishing up with part of a traditional Welsh tune. After this break, come with me down to the vault for a visit with my old pal Mark Jones. This is Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome back to Ozark Highlands Radio. Every week about this time, it's uh, it's uh, my pleasure to go down into the vault that we have under the Folk Center here, where we keep all of our old recordings of music over the years and visit with Mark Jones, who keeps track of all this stuff, and somehow he knows where everything is whenever I come down here. Let's go down and see him now. Hey, Mark. Hey, Dave. Come on in here. Well, boy, it's cozy down here today. It is. Yeah. It is. I like it. Yes. How about you? What you been doing? Well, I've actually just come back from a square dance. Called a square dance today. You did? Yep. Up at the school here in town. They wanted to show the kids what a square dance looked like. So a bunch of us dancers went up there and, and did a couple dances for them. Well, that's great. Who is one of your favorite square dance fiddle players? Oh, goodness. Here, I would say, at the Folk Center, it'd have to be Roger Fountain. Hands down, Roger Fountain. He's he's just the best. He is a good one. I think his mentor in fiddling was probably Tommy Jackson, the Tennessee fiddler, and because their fiddling sounds a lot alike, and, and as far as timing and drive goes, I'd say Roger would be the man. Yes, sir. Roger's got it. He's got yep. the drive and just every note clean and clear. Yep. I was down here the other day listening through some stuff. I run across Roger Fountain playing Bill Cheatham, which is a good old dance tune, and I started to call you to get you to come down and listen Boy, to I'd it. Boy, I'd have done it, too. I've... I've called many of the square dancers to Rogers fiddling of that very tune. Would you like to hear it? I'd again? love to hear it. Put that thing on. All right. Thank you. 
Boy, that's Roger at his finest, too. What year was that recorded? I think that was in 1981. Well, can't he hold a tune? I mean, the drive and the timing is so good on that. So much excitement in his playing, and that's just the drive. Who was playing the banjo on that? I think that was Dean Hines. Oh, I bet that was Dean. What a great sound. Uh, Roger still fiddles here at the Folk Center to this day. He lives up in Pineville, quite a ways north of here. Long drive for him to come down here, but we see him pretty often, don't we? It is. He's, he'll do it two, three nights a week, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I think he teaches in the Music Roots program here as well. He sure does. And I know he's taught a lot of young kids to appreciate and play old-time music, this stuff that I'm digging out for you every day. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Mark. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Alastair Frazier has a concert and recording career spanning over 30 years with a long list of awards, accolades, radio and television credits, and feature performances on top movie soundtracks. In 2011, he was inducted into the Scottish Traditional Music Hall of Fame. His musical partner, Natalie Haas, is one of the most sought-after cellists in traditional music today. She has performed and recorded with a who's who of the fiddle world, including Mark O'Connor, Natalie McMaster, Irish supergroups Solas and Alton, Liz Carroll, Dirk Powell, and many more.
of course interested in, in the cello's role in all of this and um and i every time i find like an old photo or an lp or something of a, an old-timey string band with cello in it i get really excited <laughs> um who knows um if that came from scotland or or where where the cello came from here but interesting also to see how its role in scotland maybe morphed into what it was here and Mm-hmm. I think it's a very natural yeah. thing. If you mm-hmm. if you distill things down, you know, which we love to do, to their essentials, you've got a fiddle player who's playing the tune, and you need something, you need like a bowed bass, whether it's a cello or a... And in, in the old days, you know, instruments weren't even uniform sizes. Mm-hmm. You know, there were big basses and little basses, and little basses were like cellos, and, mm-hmm. you know, but people would need something that lives in the engine room down there and, and helps to ground it and support mm-hmm. it all. And so it makes sense, you know, that that would happen here and happen in a lot of countries. And, and we love going to that, that place and starting from there.
we used to have this argument, you know, when a bunch of folk musicians get together, it was like, we would talk about this all the time. If, if we all learn each other, with communication, mass communication, we all learn each other's tunes and stuff, then it's going to become this homogenous kind of amalgam, you know, and that's a worry, you know, but my way and what I think a lot of people want is they want to zoom in and, and do the homework and they want to know what it sounds like to come from Mountain View, Arkansas, and they want to know what it sounds like to come from Bulgaria or wherever, you know, like, and, and we're fascinated. We're, so I talk, talk now about multilingual string playing because you, in this day and age, rather than be standardized and homogenized, if you put your work in, you can be multilingual and you can change. You can go, now here's Texas version of this tune, here's, here's a, an old Scottish version, here's a Cape Breton Island version from Nova Scotia, and so it goes on. So that gives me hope, you know, that we can pay our respects to the different ways of playing one tune. That's, that's where the hope is for me. Is, and we see a lot of that. We see people increasingly be multilingual. great music from Alastair Fraser and Natalie Haas. They started that set of tunes with a medley of The Highlanders' Farewell to Ireland, The Killarney Boys of Pleasure, and The Highlanders' Farewell, followed by Walska for Sua, and ended with a little bit of Professor Cherry Clark. Stick around for more good Scottish fiddling. We'll take a short break, after which Professor Brooks Blevins will continue his history of Dogpatch USA. You're listening to Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome back to Ozark Highlands Radio. Dr. Brooks Blevins has taught history and folklore at several Ozark colleges and universities. Here's Brooks now. Lots of people in the Ozarks, in Arkansas, and around the country have fond memories of heading back into the hills to visit one of America's most unusual theme parks. In the second of our three-part series on Dogpatch USA, we'll go back in the hills to witness the birth and early life of this singular place. The plot of Boston Mountain's real estate that would eventually become Dogpatch USA had long been used for tourism purposes. In the 1950s and 60s, the Rainey family capitalized on automobile traffic over scenic Arkansas Highway 7 to attract visitors to their trout farm, cave, and waterfall. In 1966, the Rainies decided to sell the 825-acre spread and listed it with Harrison realtor O.J. Snow. 
For several years, Snow had dreamed of building a pioneer village in the Harrison area, something similar to two other attractions that had just opened in the region half a dozen years earlier, Silver Dollar City near Branson, Missouri, and Mountain Village 1890 in a retirement community on nearby Bull Shoals Lake. Looking over the rainy property, Snow envisioned not only the perfect setting for his pioneer village, but saw in the peculiar geography a locale resembling the famous fictional dog patch of Al Cap's Little Abner comic strip. A few color home movies and a trip to the East Coast later, and Snow had convinced Cap to license the use of his characters to a proposed theme park. He even brought Cap on board as a partner in Recreation Enterprises Incorporated, the company formed by a group of Harrison investors for the purpose of developing the park. Dogpatch USA opened its gates on May 18, 1968. Other than the actors dressed in costume as Little Abner, Daisy May, Mammy and Pappy Yoakum, Moonbeam McSwine, Earthquake Magoon, and a dozen or so other Cap creations, the original Dogpatch USA was a rather low-key park. In addition to the trout pond and the cave, visitors could take stagecoach and trail rides, observe an apiary in the honey house, tour a grist mill, ride an old-timey mule swing, circle the park on a miniature train, listen to traditional mountain music, and observe a glassblower, woodcarver, and other artisans at work. The park also featured a petting zoo and a giant slide for children. Attendance for the inaugural season ran only about 75% of the number projected, but Snow, Cap, and the other investors still turned a profit. It didn't keep them from selling Dog Patch, however. In the fall of 1968, Little Rock insurance magnate Jess P. Odom bought controlling interest in Dog Patch USA and announced plans to spend several million dollars to bring the theme park up to the level of Disneyland, Six Flags, and other leading amusement parks. He also generated a mountain of publicity for Dogpatch in early 1969 when he introduced the park's new general manager, Orville Faubus. That Orville Faubus, the same one who was governor of Arkansas back in 1957, had made international headlines by attempting to block the integration of Little Rock's Central High School. Having grown up in a backwater community on Greasy Creek in the next county over, Faubus was no stranger to the real Ozarks, or to being labeled a hillbilly by people who knew only one thing about him. By the time Dogpatch USA opened for the 1969 season, Odom and Faubus had engineered a makeover in Little Abner's land. A new funicular, or belt-operated tramway, carried visitors into and out of the park. The Monster Mouse Roller Coaster, a 46-foot-high Swiss toboggan ride, and a variety of new adult and kitty rides welcomed customers to an updated Dogpatch. The makeover also featured the first annual National Miss Dogpatch USA pageant and a variety of musical acts that performed daily in the park. Orville Faubus left Dogpatch after only one season, but Odom continued to spend money to add attractions and increase attendance. And as the 1970s wore on, the musical numbers changed from year to year, becoming more elaborate and professional under the tutelage of the park's music director. Featured acts included bluegrass bands, barbershop quartets, Dixieland jazz bands, various reviews of contemporary country songs, and at least one song and dance production recounting the history of the American 20th century in song. Many of the singers and musicians were, like the actors playing Cap's characters, college students on summer vacation. Dogpatch USA's annual audition tour became a highly anticipated event for students at a number of colleges and universities. 
Performing animals, puppet shows, and magic acts provided yet more forms of entertainment. The million visitors per year that experts predicted for Dogpatch USA never materialized, though in a good year the park might draw half that crowd. And despite its challenging location far off the beaten path in a state and region that could barely see the beaten path, Dogpatch was moderately profitable. In the mid-70s, Odom even discussed the possibility of franchising the theme park in other parts of the U.S. By then, however, the seeds of Dogpatch's demise had already been sown by owner Jess P. Odom himself. In our final installment, we'll head back in the hills to take a look at the park owner's, shall we say, ill-advised decision and a string of unfortunate events that ultimately spelled the end of Dogpatch USA. Thank you, Brooks. Let's get back to this week's featured performers, Alastair Frazier and Natalie Haas. This unlikely pairing of fiddle and cello is the fulfillment of a long-standing musical dream for Frazier. His search eventually led him to find a cellist who could help return the cello to its historical role at the rhythmic heart of Scottish dance music, where it stood for hundreds of years before being relegated to the orchestra. Just listen to the way these two instruments complement each other.
we are privy to the most amazing portals into humanity. You know, you follow that fiddle and it takes you. And what you find is often is can often be oppression. You can find where the human spirit has been dampened by control the masses thinking, or by empire, or by church, by religion. You have to speak properly, and you have to play your fiddle properly. But I, it led, it, you know, it led me to confront many of these things, and it's complicated. But it's we have moved on it in, in Scotland. We, we've there's a lot of ferment. There's a lot of new ideas. People are writing tunes. Kids are learning new tunes. There's waiting lists for dance classes. You know. Pipers have taken their ornaments back. Right. And we're asking questions. And so that, it goes from there easily into politics, into religion. So here you follow your wee fiddle. In the beginning, you say, well, let's just play some tunes. And then you ask questions and you end up holding the whole, the, the psyche, what it means to be of a place. Yeah, and yeah. so it's what is to be alive, really. So music is a potent force in that way.
One more fine set of tunes from Scottish fiddler Alistair Fraser and American cellist Natalie Haas, recorded recently at the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas. They played Haneke's Bridal March, Jenny Dang the Weaver, and Crossing the Minch. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. We'll be back next week with something completely different. Until then, you can listen to all our past shows by visiting us at OzarkHighlandsRadio.com. I'm Dave Smith. Have a great week. Ozark Highlands Radio is produced by Jeff Glover. Executive producer is Darren Dorton. Additional support for this program comes from Arkansas State Parks, a division of the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism, with 52 unique reasons to visit the natural state. On the web at ArkansasStateParks.com. The Committee of 100 proudly supporting the Ozark Folk Center State Park since 1974. And by Stone Bank with roots in Mountain View, Arkansas. Stone Bank is a proud supporter of heritage musicians and small towns across America with government-guaranteed loans for farmers, entrepreneurs, and communities. More information available at StoneBank.com. For information on upcoming shows and events, we are on the web at OzarkHighlandsRadio.com. Until next time, I'm Donna Farrar. Mm-hmm.